0: At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Friends, today we are going to be launching into a new sermon series. And, and this series is going to be another installment in our study of the book of Revelation. If you've been with us in 2022, you know that we have been walking through a, a number of different sermons inside of the book of Revelation. And as we've gone through this, we have seen that the book of Revelation is a revelation of who? Of Jesus. You all have been here these other weeks. It's a revelation of Jesus Christ. Those are the first five words of this great uh, letter, that it's a revelation of Jesus Christ. And specifically, we have seen Jesus revealed as a number of things. We saw in the first three chapters that Jesus is revealed as the Lord of the church. As a matter of fact, in The the vision that John sees, he sees the, the churches of the world represented by lampstands and Jesus is not distant from them, but he's walking in the midst of them. And then he invites John to take up a pen as Jesus dictates letters to be sent to these seven churches to instruct them about how they are to respond to the reality of Jesus Christ. And so we saw in the first three chapters that Jesus is the Lord of the church And then in chapters 4 and 5, we have seen that Jesus is also the Lord of heaven. In the last three Sundays, we looked at chapters 4 and 5, and we saw this vision of heaven that the apostle John saw as Jesus invites him up to see what is happening in heaven right now. And at the center of heaven is Jesus Christ, who is being celebrated for what he has done and honored for who he is. And He's not on the periphery of heaven, but He's at the very center of heaven. He is the Lord of heaven. And we have seen that in our opening parts of our study of Revelation. But today we're going to be starting a new seven-week series that is going to walk us through chapters 6 through 18 as we see that Jesus is also the Lord of the earth. Now, when I say that Jesus is the Lord of the earth, there might be some of you that Have a question that is forming in your brain. See, when I say that Jesus is the Lord of the church, you probably said, Well, of course he is. I mean, these are groups of people gathered in the name of Jesus. Of course, those places are places where Jesus is Lord, at least where he should be. And, And you might be thinking about the Lord of heaven. You might say, Well, of course he's the Lord of heaven. I mean, if that's heaven is where where God is and Jesus is God, then certainly it's appropriate for us to say that Jesus is the Lord of heaven. But when I say that Jesus is the Lord of the earth, we might begin to have some problems. And the reason why we have some problems is because of our experience. You see, as we live out our lives on this planet, sometimes it does not feel as though God is, is in charge. Sometimes it does not feel as though Things are operating according to his plan. I mean, we live in a world where there is death, disease, and destruction. We live in a world where Christians are systematically persecuted because of their faith in Christ. We live in a world where all of these things are happening, and because we live in that world, and that world is what is happening on this earth, we are tempted to think that a statement like, Jesus is the Lord of the earth, is just pure fantasy. But friends, if that is what you're thinking... That's exactly why you need to be here the next seven weeks, because that's why I believe Jesus gives us Revelation chapter 6 through 18. He gives it to us not just to pique our curiosity about future events. He gives it to us so that we know that he is the Lord of the earth. Therefore, we can rest. This is his world. We are just living in it. So we're going to, to look at that over the next number of weeks in our Lord of the Earth series. And today we're going to kick off by looking at uh, five chapters of Revelation. We're going to look at Revelation chapter 6, Revelation chapters 8 and 9, and Revelation chapters 15 and 16. Now because that is a lot of verses, I'm not going to be able to read all of those verses before we begin. But I would encourage you to spend some time looking over those verses this week in your quiet time. As a matter of fact, there are more verses there than we're going to be able to explain and expound uh, in any detail. And so on on our blog, our church blog, if you go to wildwoodchurch.org and you go to the blog section of that, uh, throughout this series, I'll be posting some additional content that will both give you a look ahead at what we're going to be talking about, as well as some added thoughts that didn't make it in the Sunday message, but I think are important for us to reflect on related to these verses. But today we're going to be looking at these five chapters and see two really important things for each of us to consider. So what are those things? Well, the first thing that we need to consider and remember is this. We need to remember the revelation of King Jesus, the judge. We need to remember the revelation of King Jesus, the judge. Now, when I, when I put that on the screen and when I say those words, uh, some of you are nodding, going, yes, King Jesus, the judge. But others of you are, are furrowing your brow a bit because it, it is hard to grab onto this idea of Jesus as judge. Because we have grown up in an environment where we talk about Jesus as our Savior and as our friend and even as our brother. And so we talk about that a lot, but we don't necessarily talk about him often as the king or as a judge. Because of that, we can struggle with this concept and this idea. But yet when we look at how Jesus has revealed himself in Scripture, specifically and importantly in the book of Revelation, he comes off very clearly as the king of kings. And specifically, he also comes off as the judge of the earth. Now, where do we see that in the five chapters that we're going to look at today? Well, we need to think about Jesus as the judge and set the context with some of the thoughts we've seen recently in our study of Revelation. Going back to our study of heaven, we saw in chapter 4, verse 5, that a holy storm was brewing in heaven. Around the very throne of God the Father, there are flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. Now, when we read those verses a couple of weeks ago, I, I made the comment that we in Oklahoma understand what that means. When there is lightning and there is thunder, what is coming? The storm. And when... John looks to heaven and he sees the lightning and he hears the thunder. It's a reminder that a storm of God's judgment is getting ready to come upon the earth. Not only do we see this holy storm that is brewing in heaven, but we also saw in our study of heaven that Jesus has taken the reins of history. He has taken the deed of the earth. In Revelation chapter 5, verses 5 to 7, Jesus went right up to God the Father and he took the scroll from his right hand who was seated upon the throne. Jesus has taken the reins of history. He is the only one who was worthy to do so. And now he holds in his hands the reins of history. He is standing as the judge of the earth. Not only do we see this, but in chapters 6 8 and 9 and 15 and 16 that we're going to look at today, we see that when Jesus demonstrates that he has the reins of history, wrath begins to pour out upon the earth, the wrath of God. But it's interesting how it's described in Revelation. It's described as the wrath of the lamb. Now, I asked this in first service. Nobody could answer affirmative to this, but I'm just curious. Does anybody here have sheep or lambs? Anybody? Okay, yeah, very good. The puffins have lambs. That's so good. Um, Well, when you think about lambs, we don't normally or naturally think of lambs as having wrath. At least I don't, right? Um, In the first service, somebody had been around some lambs. They said, well, they could run over you. And I'm like, what a traumatic life that person has had that they have been stampeded by lambs. I can't imagine the pain and suffering that that would bring but we have this interesting turn of the phrase that there is a the, the wrath of the lamb is coming it's it's pointing out that the lamb of god who died to take away the sins of the world is also the one that will be bringing god's judgment upon the earth the same jesus who is our savior is also the judge we see this in a description of revelation 6 16 and 17 when People upon the earth, as the judgment of God begins to come, say this, they say, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? And and then we see it also in Revelation 15, verse 7. When angels are gathering the wrath of God in a bowl and they're pouring it upon the earth, it says, and one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And that wrath comes to the earth. Friends, the wrath of God is real. God's anger towards sin, his judgment of sin is real. And it's described in the chapters we're looking at today. But not only do we see the judgment that comes described as the wrath of the Lamb, but we also see that this wrath is directed by the Lamb. It's not just that Jesus tolerates the judgment of the earth, but He is the one who is actually bringing the judgment to the earth. Now, we see that as we look at chapter 6, verses 1, 3, 5, 7, 9, and 12, there's a repeated pattern as... Jesus, who has that scroll in his hands, opens it, and seal after seal is broken. Every time it is broken, another judgment comes from God upon the earth. And, and who is the one who is opening that scroll, who is breaking those seals, who is directing that judgment? It is none other than Jesus Christ, the Lamb himself. Verse 1 is a representative of that. Now, I, I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. And so we see that the judgment of God is being directed by the Son of God at the future time when judgment comes upon the earth. Now, when we think of Jesus bringing judgment upon the earth, we're tempted to think, that, that is a bit of an overreaction. We're tempted to think, why is it that God's judgment is so big and so prevalent inside of Revelation? Why is it that the future of the earth contains an era or a period where the judgment of God is focused upon the earth, and specifically the people that live upon the earth? Why is that? Well, it's because Jesus is not only holy, but he is defending those who have come to him for refuge. It's interesting in this section, a couple of different times a rationale is given for why this judgment is coming upon the earth. The first is found when the fifth seal is broken in Revelation chapter 6 beginning in verse 9. When Jesus opens that fifth seal, it says that... John sees under the altar the souls of those who had been slain. So in heaven there's an altar, and under that altar are the souls of those who had been slain. Think of that altar as the place of sacrifice. There are people, because of their faith in Christ, that had been martyred for their faith in Jesus, and right now they find themselves in heaven, their souls in front of the very altar of God, having been poured out as a sacrifice in their faithfulness to Him, for the word of God and for the witness that they had borne. And they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to wait a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. In other words, Jesus is saying, in a little while, I will come and bring restitution for the rejection both of me and also of those who have come to me. Not only do we do we see that in Revelation six, but we also see that in Revelation sixteen, when this song is being sung in heaven, when it says, And I heard the angel in charge of the water say, Just as you are, or just just are you, O holy one, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments, for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. See, right now, those who are looking on from heavenly places see Jesus as just. And when Jesus begins to bring the wrath of God to the earth, the heavenly beings will look upon what he does, and they will say, it is just that you do that. Because they have rejected you, and they have rejected those who have called upon your name, and therefore it is just that you are now bringing wrath of God to the earth. Now, how does that wrath come? Well, we see that in three different waves, three different movements of seven judgments each. And this is really what a lot of the verses that we are looking at today reflect, is these different waves of God's judgment. We'll talk in in just a little while about why it comes in these waves, but I want us right now to just look at the fact that God's judgment, his wrath is real, and it will really come to the earth at a future time. These things have not yet happened, but one day they will. And when God's wrath is revealed against the earth, what will happen? Well, the first round of God's judgment happens when Jesus opens that scroll, and those seals are broken one by one. And every time a seal is broken in Revelation chapter 6, another judgment comes upon the earth. It begins in the first four judgments with four horses that come. If you've ever heard of the four horsemen of the apocalypse, where is that idea found in Scripture? It's found in the beginning of Revelation chapter 6, where one of those horsemen comes as a conqueror, one brings war, one brings famine, and one brings death. They're directed by Jesus into the world to bring the wrath of God into the world. Not only do we see those four horsemen, but then we hear the response of lament of the martyrs in heaven. We read that verse a minute ago. And then there is judgment that involves the sky being rolled back and, and judgment coming as celestial things are falling from the sky. Then in chapters 8 and 9, we have the second wave of judgment. This wave happens as angels blow trumpets, and every time a a trumpet blows, another judgment comes upon the earth. It begins with with hailstones falling, and then it talks about the water being poisoned, both the sea and the fresh water, and then darkness coming upon the land, and then a variety of armies invading and inflicting Death and destruction. And not only do we, do we see these trumpets that come, but then in chapter 16, we see the judgment come in the form of bowls of God's wrath being poured out upon the earth. And when those bowls are poured out, we, we see boils coming to people. Again, difficulty happening with the water fresh and seawater, the sun scorching human skin, darkness falling upon the earth, armies being assembled and hailstones falling that weigh 100 pounds each. That's a little big even for Oklahoma standards. But we see the wrath of God, the judgment of God coming and coming in waves and coming upon the earth. Now, knowing that this is real and knowing that this is coming, it should shake us a little bit, right? It should bother us in some way. Because all too often, friends, we have forgotten that God is a just God. We've just forgotten it. And because we forget that God is a just God, because we're so familiar with His grace, we're so familiar with the forgiveness that's possible, because we think of God just as this benevolent, eternal, immortal being, we forget that He is just And when we forget that he is just, we we lose sight of what Jesus accomplished in his death. You know what Jesus accomplished in his death? Not only did Jesus die physically, he certainly did in in an awful way, but also in Jesus' death, the wrath of God was poured out upon him related to our sin. God took all of this and he poured it upon Christ on the cross so that all who trust in him might avoid this and be forgiven. But if we forget that God is just, when we forget that this is coming, not only do we lose sight of the consequence of sin, but also we can take for granted what what, what God has done for us in Christ. And so we are reminded of this as we look at Jesus as the judge. But even as we think about that, we need to be reminded that Jesus does this because he is a just God. In in Revelation 15, the the song of the Lamb in heaven says this, great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways. What you're doing in the judgment of the earth is, is justified. It's not too much. It's just right. And true are your ways, O King of the nations. It's it's appropriate for you, Jesus, to pour out this wrath upon the whole earth, not just upon one nation, because you're not just the God of one nation, but you're the God of the nations. You're the God of the earth. You're the Lord of the earth. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Friends, when we look at this opening point, we need to be reminded that Jesus is also the judge, and let that challenge us. Let us be challenged to remember the price that Jesus paid on the cross to take the very real wrath of God so that we might be forgiven and freed of it. But also, we need to be encouraged, friends, as we think about this, that Jesus is the judge, and we are not. We're not. You know, all too often, we can spend time in our lives thinking that every grievance is ours to rectify. We we can live our lives under the weight that we must bring retribution for every wrong that has been done to us, or maybe even a little more poignant, every wrong that was done to our kids for the parents in the room. We feel like it's our responsibility to not let any bad deed go unpunished. But friends, when we look at the scope of history and we see what will happen in the time that is known as the end, We see that Jesus will adequately deal with every injustice. That does not mean that we do not live out the values of God today. And it doesn't mean that we don't call others to live that out as well. But it does mean that it is not our responsibility to bring retribution for every wrongdoing. Jesus will care for that himself. And so we are reminded of this as we remember the revelation of King Jesus, the judge. But there's a second thing we need to see. And this is really, really important. And that second thing is this. We need to see our response to King Jesus. Inside of these chapters that talk about the the wrath of God and the judgment of God that will come upon the earth is an an implicit call and an explicit call for us to respond to Jesus in faith. Now, we see that in part by, by looking at, again, these 21 movements or waves of judgment that come upon the earth. The question we ought to ask ourselves when we look at all of these things spread out over these five chapters is this, why does God judge the earth in this way? Why does he do it like this? I mean, why 21 movements? Could he not do it in one? And the answer to that is what? Absolutely he could. And what's what's the evidence and proof of that? Jesus' death on the cross was sufficient to take the wrath of God for your sins and mine. It was sufficient to do so. So God absolutely could have judged the earth in one movement. It wouldn't have taken Him any time, any effort. He just says the word, and the world is judged, and it would have been it'd be over in an instant. But instead. It comes in 21 waves. Why? Is it because God is somehow sadistic in some way? The answer to that is absolutely not. Why does it happen this way? To give people a chance to respond, to give people a chance to respond. Now, we know this because of verses like 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, a verse that Bruce guided us through a few weeks ago, where Peter says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. Slow in that why this seven-year period of future judgment upon the earth, where 21 movements of God's judgment happen, that seems slow. Peter says, It's not slow. There's a point to it. Why 2,000 years since Jesus lived on this earth and ascended into heaven. Why has God delayed all this time? It's not slow, as some count slowness. But it has a purpose. And what is that purpose? God is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Why is it that Jesus will judge the earth over seven years in 21 movements? to give people a chance in that era of human history to repent. And why is it that Jesus has delayed 2,000 years for returning? In order to give you and me a chance to repent. Friends, right now in heaven, we saw this earlier, the souls of the martyrs are crying out to Jesus, How long, O Lord, how long until you bring that judgment to the earth? And Jesus says, just a little while longer. Now, it's kind of a funny thing to think about. Uh, Jesus's little whiles are different than ours, aren't they? Unless you're a dad. You know, sometimes Josh will say, can we do this? And I'll say, yeah, in, in, in a little bit. And that means some indeterminate period of time between you know, two minutes and more than two minutes. But, you know, in this moment, when the people, the martyrs of the faith are crying out, Jesus says, just a little while longer. That little while has included 2,000 years. Why? To give you and me a chance to repent. Friends, I am so thankful that Jesus did not return at Christmas 1989 you know why? Because I didn't trust Christ as Savior until Easter of 1990. In God's grace and mercy, I'm so thankful that He was patient, not desiring that I would perish, but that I would come to repentance. And, friends, whenever you have placed your faith in Christ in the past, may you spend time today saying, Jesus, I am thankful that you did not come back, that you did not bring that judgment before this moment because that has given me the chance to repent. And, And the fact that Jesus is not bringing that judgment today means that you still have an opportunity. If you have never placed your faith and trust in Christ, perhaps you're here today because Jesus is delaying and waiting a little longer. Right now in heaven, martyrs are saying, Jesus, bring your judgment back to the earth. And Jesus says, not yet, because there's another that I want to come to me. Friends, Jesus is here and he desires that none should perish. That's why he lets us know the judgment is coming. He gives us 2,000 years heads up. He puts it in the revelation so that we know that it's real and we know that it is coming and he's giving us a chance to repent. Remember, this is called the wrath of the lamb. We talked about that earlier. It's called the wrath of the lamb. But remember what else we know about the lamb. Chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, the lamb is the one who was what? Say it with me. The lamb was slain. The lamb was slain. And by his blood, he has ransomed people for God. Friends, this reminds us and lets us know that the one who is able to judge, the only one who is able to judge humanity is Jesus Christ. And the one who is able to judge is willing to do what? Save. And not just to to give us a shot, to tell us about something good, but he was so committed to our salvation that he came and bled and died on the cross to take the wrath of God so that we might be forgiven and that we might avoid the catastrophe that is to come. It's even better than that. I love what it says in Revelation 3, verse 10. We saw this as we looked at the Lord of the Church series. Jesus says to church in Philadelphia, he says, because you have kept my word about patient endurance, because you have believed in me, he says this, I'm gonna keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell upon the earth. Not only if we trust in Christ right now, if you trust in Christ, not only, friends, do we have an eternal forgiveness of our sins, but also Jesus has promised to protect us from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world, which is the judgments that we see listed in the seals, the trumpets, and the bowls. We'll talk more about that next Sunday, but friends, Jesus has done much for us. And he's giving us a chance to repent and to respond. But sadly, many won't. Sadly, many won't. You know, sometimes we think that if God just were to do something really dramatic, that everybody would believe. But when we look at history, and even when we look at the future, in the verses we're going to reflect on in a moment, we see that even when God does very remarkable things, a number of people do not respond by believing and trusting and repenting. What do I mean by that? Well, how about during the time of the seal judgment, chapter 6? These judgments are being poured out upon the earth. How do the people respond? God desires that they respond. He desires that none should perish. But how do people respond in that era? Some respond appropriately, but many do not. It says, then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves when this judgment is coming in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they were calling out to who? To the mountains and to the rocks. Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of their wrath has come. And who can stand? They even acknowledge that it's coming from God, but rather than calling out to God for mercy and asking for forgiveness, rather than turning to the creator, they turn to the creation and they ask for protection. Keeps going. How about during the trumpet judgments? The trumpets blow and the the judgments of God come upon the earth. How does humanity respond? Chapter 9, verses 20 and 21 tells us, it says, the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders or their sorcerers, sorceries, or their sexual immorality or their thefts. God is demonstrating His power and His sovereignty in, in mighty ways, and the response of humanity is to continue to worship a rock or a piece of wood or a false or fake God. Not only does that happen during the trumpet judgment, but also during the, the bowl judgment, so the very wrath of God being poured out in seven movements in chapter 16 and This is what happens in the response of people. It says, "'They were scorched by the fierce heat, "'and they cursed the name of God "'who had power over these plagues. "'They did not repent and give him glory. "'The fifth angel poured out his bowl "'on the throne of the beast, "'and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. "'And people gnawed their tongues in anguish "'and cursed the God of heaven "'for their pain and their sores. "'They did not repent of their deeds.'" Friends, we are tempted to think that if God just were to do something big and bold and bright that everybody would see and acknowledge and repent. But the reality is that they won't. I think it's consistent with what we see in other parts of Scripture. You look back at John chapter 1, in in the description of Jesus' first advent, the the events of, of, of Christmas and then his earthly life and ministry, what does it say in John 1, 9 to 11? It says, the true light, Jesus, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Even in his first coming, Jesus did a number of remarkable things. He raised the dead, he healed the blind, he he healed the sick. He himself was raised from the dead, and yet many of his own did not receive him. Well, why do people not turn to God In, in the midst of demonstrable judgment of God at the end or at the time of Jesus' coming? Why was he rejected? Well, it's because we have this condition And that condition is sinfulness. It's a a propensity for us not to float towards God, but to drift away from him. Romans chapter one describes this tendency well when it says this, it says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. and birds, and animals, and creeping things. Friends, we are created by a creator, and yet we are all too often tempted to find our protection, our strength, our meaning, our comfort, whatever, in other created things and not in our creator. That is the drift of sin in our lives. And it leaves us with foolish minds that are darkened. But there's hope. There's hope. And that hope is available to all. We see this in Second Corinthians chapter 3, where it says, But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ it is taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. A foolish mind that is darkened because of our sin can can be lit up again. How does it happen? It happens when one turns to the Lord and then the veil that has obscured our vision is removed. And so, friends, if if you are here today, and you are thinking maybe I'm here today because I've never placed my faith and trust in Christ, and I'm learning that there is an expiration date on His offer of salvation, and you begin to think I've I've long found my comfort and my protection in my purpose in life in things or in other people, and created things, but not in my Creator, and you find your heart beginning to warm to the idea of trusting in Christ and following Him and repenting of your ways, then know that that feeling that you're experiencing is not because I'm twisting your arm. It's because God is at work beginning to pull back a veil. And if you are... Sensing that today, may you do a full turn and may you trust in Christ and follow him all of your days. See, friends, this judgment is for real coming one day. But Jesus desires that you not perish with this, but that you have everlasting life. Would you trust him today? I mean, sometimes we think, well, I'm just going to wait until I see something remarkable happen. If if I see, you know, stars falling from the sky, then I'll repent at that moment. No, that's not going to be the norm. That moment will still require you to turn into trust in Him. And so do not delay. Trust Him today. The one who is able to judge is willing to save. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you so much for just this opportunity to trust in you. Um, Thank you for getting us the the message of Jesus and and all that, that he has done to protect us from the wrath that is to come and to secure our presence with you in eternity. Lord, I pray that all who hear my words, all who are present with us here, that every single heart would be placing their faith and their trust in you. Thank you for graciously getting us the warning that the storm is coming so that we might repent while we have time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.